0: Our sermon text this morning comes from Luke's Gospel. We'll be looking at 22, picking up in verse 54. Luke 22, verses 54 through 62. This part of Peter's story is one of the most bitter moments of his life. But in it, we see a truth that we who follow jesus must apply to ourselves it calls those who are standing firm to a sober watchfulness and it calls those who have fallen like peter falls to profound comfort because it holds out to us the hope of pardon let's pray as we come to god's word Living God, help us so to hear your holy word that we may truly understand, that understanding we may believe, and believing we may follow in all faithfulness and obedience, seeking your honor, your glory in all that we do, through Christ our Lord, amen. Luke 22 But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately... While he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. This is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. At my middle school, there was a boy who liked to talk big. Swagger all over the place. Bold words about how tough he was. But there came a day when he crossed someone and he had to back up his words and I saw him in one of those ridiculous testosterone-fueled fights in the gym as he went up against one of the smallest kids in the school. Now, I don't wanna glorify the fight so I'm not gonna describe it. But let's just say that his bold words, when they were put to the test, didn't stand up. Kind of reminds you of Peter here, huh? Earlier in Luke's gospel, Jesus foretold his own rejection, his own suffering. And then he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. And follow me. Now, just a few moments earlier, back in the upper room, Peter had promised such self-denial. He said he'd go to prison with Jesus, even to death with Jesus. And here this scene opens with Peter following Jesus into the courtyard close to where Jesus had been taken. Why is he there? Is he going to keep the promise he made? Maybe his plan was to deny himself, to take up a cross with Jesus, and to follow him to the end. We don't really know what is happening inside Peter's head, but we do know that instead of denying himself, he denies Jesus. Three times, Peter essentially says, I have no allegiance to him. He has no authority over me, no significance for my life, no claim on how I think or live. That once brave disciple is bested by a servant girl's question and by his own weakness in his flesh. Can you identify with Peter here? We're supposed to. Because how many times have we followed Jesus like this? Starting with every intention of denying ourselves. This time I'm really going to do it. And then discovering how hard it really is. Because to deny yourself, as one pastor puts it, to deny yourself involves treating ourselves the way Jesus, uh, the way Peter treats Jesus. It means saying, I have no allegiance to myself. I have no allegiance to my own purposes and plans. I am not my own authority. And it's not my claims that determine how I think or live. As you and I look at this passage through this lens that we are called to treat ourselves the way Peter treats Jesus, then we begin to understand that Denying Jesus isn't about failing to share a post about your faith on Facebook. You've seen those little things that go around. It isn't really about missed evangelism opportunities. That's not really what it means to deny Jesus. It isn't even, it isn't even about giving in to sinful desires. Although sinful actions always flow from failing to deny ourselves. No, before any sin action is committed, there is first the more fundamental failure to deny ourselves. Like Peter, it's first and foremost a matter of a heart that is rejecting Jesus' claim on how we think or act in everyday life, in everyday relationships. Like when I make my marriage more about my needs than hers or when I discipline my children because of an annoyance rather than true disobedience to God. Whenever I am serving my own purposes and plans, acting as if I am the ultimate authority over me, I'm actually denying Jesus. I'm denying his lordship over every area of life. And so whether it's in our marriages or our families, In driving down the road or sitting in front of a screen. In our lives within the church or out in the workplace each of us face situations where we must either deny ourselves or deny Jesus. Which one do you find easier? If you're like Peter and me you'll say that denying Jesus Jesus is the easiest thing because the pain of dying to yourself sometimes feels like Jesus is just asking too much. Maybe it feels like he's asking too much when he tells us to put the needs of others ahead of our own. Maybe it feels like he's asking too much when he tells us to be generous with what we have. But whatever the reason that we deny him instead of ourselves, when our rooster crows, when we come to our senses, when Jesus' look pierces our heart, the truth is revealed. We have denied the master whom we love. And we taste the bitterness of that convenient sin. Every believer who has walked the face of this earth has tasted sin's bitterness. From our first parents walking the road out of Eden to Abraham's shame at the lies that he told to save his own skin. From David's adultery and murder to Paul's old life as a persecutor of Jesus' church. All who know the Lord also know the weakness of this flesh. And there are times when the bitterness of grief over our sin makes us, like Peter, just want to escape into the night. To go off by ourselves and weep. C.S. Lewis once wrote to a friend who felt that way. As Lewis and his friend exchanged letters, Lewis noticed how much time his friend spent dwelling on his failings as a follower of Jesus. And this was Lewis's reply. You write much about your own sins. Beware. Permit me, my dearest father, to say beware. Beware lest humility should pass over into anxiety or sadness. It has bidden us rejoice and always rejoice. Jesus has canceled the writing that was against us. Lift up our hearts. It's true that each of us has a moment like Peter. Many moments, if you're like me. But that is why wise pastors have said before that for every one look we take at ourselves, every one look at ourselves and our sin, we must take nine looks at Jesus. Because the grace of this passage stands to teach us that when our weakness is most obvious... Our hope was never in our strength. When our weakness is most obvious, our hope was never in our strength. Where is our hope? I see three answers in this passage and in the larger context. Our hope is in the Lord who looks on us. Second, our hope is in the Lord who was denied. And third, our hope is in the Lord who has spoken. Let's start with the first. Where is our hope? Our hope is in the Lord who looks on us. Luke tells us in verse 61 that as soon as the rooster crows, signaling Peter's denial, Jesus turned and looked at Peter. His piercing look calls to Peter's mind what the Lord said Peter would do. But do you also remember that Jesus had said more to Peter? More than just, you will betray me. Before he predicted Peter's denial, Jesus said, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. That is, that it might not fail completely. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Jesus' words then help us understand here that Jesus' look toward Peter was not a look of anger or judgment or rejection or disgust, but rather it was a look of love. By his look, Jesus was leading Peter to repentance. John Calvin, about this passage, says, this was no ordinary look, for earlier he had looked at Judas, who, after all, became no better by his look. But in looking at Peter, Jesus added to his eyes the secret efficacy of the Spirit. And thus, by the rays of his grace, penetrated into his heart. Let us, therefore, know that whenever anyone has fallen, his repentance will never begin until the Lord has looked at him. In awareness of your sin today, Do you sense the Lord's look on you? His eye is always on you. Neither the heavens nor the depths of the earth can hide you from his sight. But let me remind you that the Lord's looking on you is not a look of shock. It's not a look of surprise by sin. Jesus knew Peter would fall, and he knows you will too. And knowing our weakness... He looks on us with love. Remember that it was to deal with sin that he came in the first place. He came to show mercy to weak sinners like Peter and us. And so it is part of his mercy that he would pain us with his look. Reminding us of his love and that love leading us to repentance. One pastor writes, repentance is like antiseptic. You pour antiseptic onto a wound, and at first it stings. Then it heals. So church, don't be surprised by the pain of conviction over sin. It's right for us to grieve over the sin that remains in us, the sin that causes us to deny the Lord that we love, but know, know for certain that grace is doing its work through that pain. Pain is God's megaphone, Lewis famously said. It drives us to see our need of Christ. And so if grace is doing its work in your pain now, let it lead you to turn away from selfish sin, back, back to the Lord who looks on you with love. So if there are things in your life and you're tasting the bitterness of them now, let me encourage you to take them to the Lord. He already knows and yet remains willing to hear, ready to forgive. After all, isn't it yours and Peter's redemption isn't that exactly what Jesus is working toward here in this passage? And so, taste, taste and see that the Lord is more sweet than our sin is bitter. And so, our hope is in the Lord who looks on us. But that actually leads us to the second point our hope is in the Lord who was denied. Our hope is in the Lord who was denied. What I said a moment ago about Jesus here working for ours in Peter's redemption is what I want you to meditate on for a moment here. Jesus here as he stands in the high priest's house is standing in the midst of a trial. He's about to be condemned. He's about to be numbered with the transgressors. Jesus' innocence and deity is being denied by the religious leaders who should have welcomed him. And it is through their denial of Jesus that our redemption is accomplished. But even more important, even more important than their denial of Jesus is the fact that on this night, as he had from the beginning and will continue to do until his death, jesus denies himself you understand what i mean there our hope is in jesus who denied himself took up his cross and followed the father's will this is at the very heart of the gospel that we believe that jesus here is actively and voluntarily denying himself on this night, he's putting into action the words that he had spoken. Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. It's as if Jesus is saying, I have no allegiance to myself, to my own purposes and plans. I am not my own authority, and it's not my claims that determine how I think or live. In full submission to the Father, Jesus denies himself to taste The bitterness of our sin on the cross. Look, if our hope is rooted in our steadfastness, then Peter and we would be lost. But as it is, our hope is rooted in Jesus who sees us standing beside Peter in denial and still goes to the cross. The good news for us is that what Peter would have to cling to for himself, for every sinner, the remedy of sin's bitterness is the sweetness of Christ who denied himself. And so when we taste the bitterness of sin, we must turn from it to Christ alone. Only when we, by faith, see him dead for us on the cross, only when we see him risen and alive, victorious over sin and death, only then will his sweetness refresh our souls with the assurance of sins forgiven, debts removed, righteousness counted as ours. For his sake. And so this word speaks to every believer. It calls those who are standing firm to a sober watchfulness because we know. We know that we're capable of the same as Peter here. And yet it also calls those who have fallen to profound comfort. Because it holds out to even fallen disciples like us. The hope of pardon. Pardon. Our hope is in the Lord who looks on us. Our hope is in the Lord who denied himself. And finally, our hope is in the Lord who has spoken. Our hope is in the Lord who has spoken. Jesus spoke to Peter in the upper room earlier about how Satan would soon sift him like wheat. Peter's experiencing that sifting now. But returning to Jesus' words would later lift up his head because Jesus had also said to him, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. When confronted with our sin, we must not do what is so easy to do. We must not turn inward and look for any comfort in ourselves. There is no comfort to be found in promising to do better next time. There is no comfort to be found in countless tears. But there is comfort in Christ who still speaks to you. There's comfort in his words to poor sinners who turn to him. Listen, listen, listen to him. Because the gospel tells us that Jesus prays for all his people. He sustains us by his spirit and by his word. So listen to the word of the Lord, which stands as the foundation of your hope today. Jesus says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus says, the son of man came to seek and to save The lost. Jesus says, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Jesus says, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. We could go on. To the assurance that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We can comfort, we find comfort, we sigh a sigh of contentment when we hear Jesus say, I will never leave you or forsake you. We may deny him, but he will not deny his own. He will lead us back to himself in repentance and faith. Well, listen, my point, my whole point here, is that for Peter and for us, our hope is never in the boldness of our words to him. Our hope is in the Lord who looks on us, who denied himself and died, who speaks and prays for us. And as we turn from the bitterness of sin to the sweetness of Christ, it's encouraging if we look ahead a little bit in Peter's life to see what happens when we taste and see that the Lord is good it's striking to think that after Jesus suffered and rose after Jesus sent his promised spirit on his disciples then Peter was able to live up to his promise that promise in chapter 22 to go to prison and to die with Jesus before before the crucifixion Peter couldn't do it But afterwards, as we read about Peter in Acts chapter 5, we see him counting it as joy to suffer for Christ's sake. And tradition tells us that Peter would follow his sweet Savior much more closely in the time to come, even to that point of imprisonment and death. Now right now, you may feel like the change that happened in Peter could never happen to you. It might seem impossible that you could learn to deny yourself and suffer loss like this. Let me just stop you there and ask the simple question. Does the credit for his transformation belong to Peter or Christ in Peter? Is not the same Spirit who changed Peter into one who could deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow Jesus? Is not that same Spirit in you? And so today, if you by the Spirit see Jesus and love him, if you taste his sweetness in a way that is taking away sin's bitterness, then keep looking at him as you seek to deny yourself today, only seeing Jesus denying himself can empower us to do the difficult, distasteful, even frightening work of treating ourselves the way Peter treated Jesus. But as we repent, as he looks at us, as we return to our Lord who died for us, in him, We find the motivation and the power to take up the cross in our everyday lives. Because we know that our failures aren't held against us. And the only look Christ gives us is not one of disgust, but one of love. Let's pray. Father, I confess to you now that I don't always know what it needs to look like for me to die to myself in my relationships, in my work that you've given me to do. And yet, Lord, we see something of it here in this passage as we see Christ denying himself and taking up with his actions his full allegiance to you. Father, you have won us for yourself. You have made us yours twice because you created us and then you have redeemed us for yourself. And you, Lord, have prepared good works for us to walk in, even if we sometimes walk in suffering. And so, Father, I pray for myself and for my brothers and sisters here. Lord, would you keep our Savior in front of our eyes? that we might walk in this life with our eyes fixed on him willing eager even to take up our own cross every day and follow him because in him we see that even death itself is not the end of the story for your people on the other side is resurrection life and in that life of Jesus we already live and move today and so father would you Would you show in our lives the life of Jesus as we, as your people, are willing to deny ourselves, count the interests of others ahead of our own, and live in a way that honors you in all that we think and say and do. That's the desire of our heart, Father. Would you bring it to pass as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.